Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus is beginning his ministry and he shows up at the Sea of Galilee and he finds a couple boats that are sitting there empty as Simon Peter and a couple of his fishing mates are on the shores cleaning their nets. And it says that Jesus got in the boat because the crowd was gaining such a big size. And as he gets into the boat, he asks Peter, would you put the boat out into the water? And uh, this would have been a, a pretty large ask, especially because they were already in the process of cleaning these nets. But because of the, the culture of honor that existed within ancient um, Palestine, he says yes and gets in the boat. And as they go out into the water, Jesus says something shocking. He says, would you put your net on the other side of the boat? And Peter objects, like, listen, we, we do this for a living and we've done this all night. There's no fish. But he kind of begrudgingly says, I'll do it. And as he does, not only do they start catching fish, but they catch so much fish that two boats begin to sink. And so other people are called in to take this massive haul of fish to the shore. And as they get to the shore, you can imagine the crowd of people that are already there for Jesus seeing more fish than ever could have, have dreamt about. That... Peter falls at his feet and he says, I'm a sinful man. And Jesus gives him this shocking invitation. And he says, I want you to become a fisher of men. Follow me. And there's so much going on in this story, but a couple of things I wanted to point out. Number one, I think that many of us can fall into the rhythm and maybe even the trap of just living everyday life. And I just think that the Jesus that we see in this picture is one who gets into our boat, but he doesn't force us out of our comfort zone. He invites us to take him on this journey. And when he does, God shows up in a radical way. So much so that um, some economists actually calculated how much that catch of fish would have equated to um, and it turns out, based on uh, the market value of that day, if no one had caught fish and they had two boats full of fish, the estimate is that could have been about three years worth of salary, which is interesting because that's exactly how long Jesus would have left his, or sorry, Peter would have left his fishing business to follow Jesus. Now, it would be easy to look at that story and just be like, that's the miracle. It's about the fish. But the reality is this story is not about the fish. It's about Jesus and the invitation that he offers to Peter with all of that was just shown, all that was provided. He says, hey, would you, would you follow me? Would you be willing to give all of this up and give your life over to me? And I think that that invitation given to Peter is the same invitation given to you. But oftentimes we don't have the luxury of having the, the prize laid out before us, but the invitation still stands. And that the prize would not be a sense of um, an amount of money or a sort of achievement in this life, but rather that Jesus would be our prize. 
And I would just extend that invitation to every one of you today. Where have we gotten stuck cleaning the nets of our day-to-day life in such a way that Jesus is just kind of a, you'll kind of appease him here and there. But Jesus wants to get into our boat, not just to show us something, but to invite us to himself. When I, when I read this story, I actually read it this morning in my quiet time, I was struck by a couple of things. Um, n- number one, the radical nature of the invitation of Jesus. And the second thing I was struck by is that Jesus doesn't ask Peter not to fish. He just asks him to fish differently. He asks him to search after something else. As your fisherman, you do this for a living. I know that. I made you. But I want to ask if I have the permission to direct that. And the Bible has, has a word for that. This idea that we, we invite ourselves out of the driver's seat. And invite God into the driver's seat to direct our lives in the way he will. And that word is called stewardship. And so I want to spend today talking about that concept of what does it mean to be a steward of the life that God has given us. The Greek word for steward is oikonomos. And it means the manager of a household or household affairs. A steward, manager, superintendent, to whom the head of the house or property has entrusted the management of his affairs, the care of receipts and expenditures, and the duty of dealing out the proper portion to every servant, to even to the children not yet of age. And this word is used for people who are followers of Jesus, that we are invited to to be a steward of that life. In Galatians 2.20, Paul comes to this, this incredibly profound conclusion as he writes this letter. He says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Watchman Nee, the, the Chinese apologist and author, Uh, translates this verse like this. He says, I'm not living anymore. Christ is living his life through me. And that's exactly what a steward is. It's saying, this isn't my life. Christ gets to live his life through me. These are not my things. Christ gets to use these things through me. These are not my relationships that I own. They belong to God. And would I steward them appropriately? Conclusion is... uh, For Christians, stewards proactively represent our king. And so, you might be asking, like, why are we called to stewardship? Why are we called stewards? And just two basic reasons. Number one is because we follow Jesus, and Jesus was a steward of his Father's will. Listen to John 8, 28. It says, I do nothing on my own, said Jesus, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I will always do what please him. You realize that Jesus chose to live his life as a steward of the Father's will. And as followers of Jesus, he invites us to do the same thing. Stuart McCulloch, who's the CEO of Stewardship UK, says this, We would do well to pause here and absorb the magnitude of this apparently simple, self-evident truth. Stewards please their master. Jesus pleased his father perfectly. He did not withhold love. He did not look down. He did nothing but serve the father. He is the standard of the good steward. 
The second reason isn't just because Jesus was a good steward, but the other reason is that the Bible calls us to be stewards of God's kingdom. And you don't have to turn far, far in the Bible, actually on the very first page, when it, it reveals the creation of humanity, it's given this mandate. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. That word rule over is kingdom language, that we are given governance and authority over the world around us to be able to operate on behalf of the king in his domain according to his will. Colossians 1, 15-16 in the New Testament puts it like this, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him, listen to this, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. And here it is, all things have been created through Him and for Him. To be a steward is not Peter as a fisherman saying, I'm not going to fish anymore, but rather saying, Jesus, you direct me how to fish. And if you're calling me to be a fisher of men, that's what I'm going to do. It's saying, I'm no longer living. It's Christ living his life through me. That is the abundant life that I'm called to live. And to realize that everything around us, everything inside us, everything about us has been created, not only through Jesus, but for Jesus. And so I just, before we continue to, to seven different areas of biblical stewardship, I just want to pause and just say, is that where you're at? Is, is Jesus Lord of your life? Meaning that you, your only response is a steward to let him operate in his will, his priorities, his kingdom through your life. Because if, if we're honest, we are creatures who really like to compartmentalize. We like to keep Jesus to our Sunday gathering or to our open table or maybe to worship every once in a while. But does Jesus get to have control over, over your relationships, over your dreams, over your time? And that's when it begins to be this other thing. Is there's no more compartmentalization anymore. Jesus has access to all of it. To be a good steward is to say, Lord, you, you're welcomed into all of it. So we're going we're gonna to talk through seven areas of biblical stewardship. And again, this is not an exhaustive list, but this is a biblical list of areas that God says, I want control over that to let you live your life in accordance to my kingdom and my will. The seven areas we're going to talk about are relationships, vocation, creation, gifting, thinking, time and finances. The first one, relationships, um, I'm just going to direct you to go back and listen to the last few weeks of talks. Uh, we spent a lot of time talking about friendship, marriage, singleness, dating. We've talked about all these different spheres, but I, I want to just pause and just say, listen, God created us to live into our relationships as good stewards, to operate on behalf of our king in those and so just take some inventory do the relationships look like how christ would look like in those relationships the second area of our stewardship is our vocation what you do with your time and your job and your passion acts 2 30 20 35 says this in everything i did 
I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to be given than to receive. In everything I did, right? And this is Paul talking about his vocation, what he did with his, his craftsmanship and his time. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So here's, here's the good news. Your vocation uh, again, whether you are an accountant and a CPA, whether you're a substitute teacher, whether you're a nurse, whether you own a business, is that you have the invitation to steward your vocation unto the Lord, meaning you do everything to glorify God. You don't clock in to, to appease your boss. You clock in to glorify God. You don't submit an Excel spreadsheet to, to appease your supervisor. You submit it to the best of your ability because you're glorifying God in that, in that thing. Tim Keller in his book, Every Good Endeavor, says it like this. We are called to stand in for God here in the world. Exercising stewardship over the rest of creation in place of, of his vice regents. We share in doing the things that God has done in creation, bringing order out of chaos, creatively building a civilization out of the material of physical and human nature, caring for all that God has made. This is a major part of what we are created to be. Work has dignity because it is something that God does and because we do it in God's place as his representatives. So have you ever thought about that you are to steward your relationships as Christ living through you. You are to steward your vocation as how would Christ operate in your position? I I know it's kind of maybe a strange thing to think about. Um, Maybe you're a um, stay-at-home mom or dad. How would Christ treat his time with those children? Maybe you're creative and, and you're a songwriter, a poet. How would God, how would Christ live his creative expression through you? The next thing is the, the concept of creation. I'm, I'm standing in uh, the San Alijo Preserve right now in, in Cardiff, and I'm surrounded by beauty. Um, I was reading a report of the millions of dollars it's helped to create this place what it is, or rather to keep this place what it is. And I just think about how we are called to the world around us, the environment around us, to actually care for it. Genesis 2.15 says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden. Here it is, to work it and to take care of it. A.J. Swoboda, who's um, a brilliant thinker, author, and professor, is actually going to be with us on April, uh, April 3rd. I'm really excited to have him. And his book, Subversive Sabbath, says this, Few would disagree with the statement, Creation is not operating the way it's supposed to. Through abuse, misuse, and selfishness, humans have been consumers rather than stewards of the created world. As a result, the well-being of creation, its shalom, is harmed. We must be cognizant that things are in disrepair and that humans are the only part of creation capable of reversing the damage done. And so I I know for, for many of us, because of of where we live uh, in the States versus other people, actually the idea of our environment and the creation around us is something very much on the forefront of our culture. 
But for us who follow Jesus, it's not just, it's not just that we care for, for the creation that's around us, but it's why. We don't care because it's a political endeavor. We don't even care because it's, it's hip to do. We care because, well, because God cares and he invites us to come and to tend the world around us. Fourth thing I want to just encourage us of how we are to steward our lives is gifting. 1 Peter 4.10 says, Each of you, of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. I love this. He's like, hey, you guys all have different gifts. You guys all have different acts of service and all these things. And the goal is that you would actually know what those things are, know your unique wiring and gifting, and then be able to push that into what God has called you to do. Pete Scazzaro in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, tells this story. Rabbi Zusia, when he was an old man, said, In the coming world, they will not ask me, Why were you not Moses? They will ask me, why were you not Zeusia? The true vocation for every human being is, as Kierkegaard said, the will to be oneself. And so the idea of gifting is, listen, if you spend your time comparing what you do to someone else, then you're wasting your time. You are called to steward how God's made you. Don't compare yourself to me, to someone on social media, to a family member, to your parents. God's made you and gifted you uniquely. And you are to press in to the question of how do you steward that? How do you steward the gifts God's given you? Fifth, I would just encourage you to, to think about your thinking, the thoughts you have. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it, here it is, obedient to Christ. Um, have you ever thought about stewarding your thoughts, stewarding your thinking? Because we may not be able to control what comes in, we may control how those things come in, but we can control how much, what we do with them. And I would just encourage you just to be intentional with that. John Mark Comer in his book, Live No Lie, says, Ideas have power only when we believe them. We hear all sorts of ideas every day, some brilliant, others ridiculous, but they have zero effect on us unless we begin to trust them as an accurate map to reality. Sixth, um, we have to be good stewards of our time. Now, uh, Stevie preached on this last week. If you missed it, please go back and listen to it. It was so good. I got to listen to it while I was in Germany, actually. So I won't spend time on that. And the last thing I just want to say is um, that we are called to be good stewards of our resources and our finances. Matthew 6.19 says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. 
If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Um, those are strong words, and, and one that we have to wrestle with, largely because simply where we live, we, we have access, we have more access to finances, to resources, even the roads that we drive on, the education system, the healthcare system that's available to us, regardless of the, the political inertia you want to go into in that conversation, the reality is, is that we live in a hyper blessed financial region. That doesn't mean that you are. You could be someone who's looking for a job right now. But it just means collectively we have to think about money. And the question that we need to ask about finances is the same question we need to ask about time, relationships, our thoughts. Is When it, when it comes to our, our money, if Christ is living his life through us, is that reflected when it comes to the resources that we have? It's a vulnerable question. One we don't spend a whole lot of time talking about, but maybe, maybe we should. Um, because Jesus says something here on the end we're going to come back to when he says that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Meaning that there's something about our relationship to finances, to money, to resource that actually is an indicator, it's a thermometer of something deeper that's going on in our heart. And recognizing that the audience who's watching this right now is incredibly diverse. Some of you guys are, are literally living paycheck to paycheck, are struggling to get out of debt. Um, some of you guys who are watching this have an abundance of money in your account and you're incredibly generous with it. And so I don't want to presume where you're coming from, but what I do want to say is just point out a few biblical concepts when it comes to stewarding our finances. And maybe you've heard of these, maybe you haven't. And the idea isn't to like kind of whop you on the head of like you need to do all of these things right now, but the idea is to let the Holy Spirit in to um, maybe some of these areas that need, that He's wanting growth and development. In. Uh, number one is the concept of a tithe. Tithe in the Bible just means 10%. We see this talked a lot about in the Old Testament, specifically around uh, when the, the nation of Israel is being developed. It was a way that it created kind of its temple system. It's how it's cared for the poor and the marginalized, how it took care of priests. But we also see tithe talked about before the Exodus, before the Mosaic Law. We see tithe talked about in Jesus' day as well. And the idea is that there is this set-aside portion that is given over to the people of God for the purposes of God. And when the church was birthed, it was an interesting time because there wasn't a temple, there weren't priests. As a matter of fact, we are all called to be priests. And so what do we do with that? And the conversation around tithe is kind of two ways. One, people are like, well, it's not relevant anymore in the New Covenant. Other people point out the reason why it's not talked about as much is because in the New Testament church, people didn't give 10%. They would sell their entire property and give it to them. It's above that. But the reason why I think it's good to draw back to is it's a great place to start. Just to look at your income and say, where is 10% of this going towards kingdom, kingdom purposes, to living generously, to caring for the poor? 
um, and doing that. And I, I was, but I'm, I'm quick to, I was actually having a conversation today with, with uh, a guy in our church named Paul Saber. And he was, he says something that really stuck out to me. He says this, stewardship is not about tithing 10%, but I get about giving 100% of your life to Jesus. It is not about what we acquire, but who has acquired us. And I love how he talked about that. Well, this is not a sermon about tithing, because that would be about 10%. This is, this is a sermon about stewardship, meaning Jesus is asking for 100% of who we are. The next thing that, that we see in the Bible is this concept of first fruits. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with your first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. And I love the concept of first fruits because it's a trust issue. If you're a farmer and you give the first of your harvest away, you don't know what your second harvest is going to be like. It's trusting that the Lord is the one who provides. And there's ways that we can do this in our culture too, is, is when we give, it's not like, let's see what's left over at the end of the month. It's having a generous vision to take a look at what's coming in and say, God, I want to give you and trust you with, with the first of those things, with the first of those fruits. The next biblical principle when it comes to financial stewardship is the concept of simplicity. Uh, it's restraining from excess for the sake of caring for those in need. Uh, one of our board members, uh, Bruce Elliott, has really become a dear friend. He's actually the chairman of the board of the orphanage in Ukraine. I was just spending time with him and um, in Germany and he was telling me about his story that when he was in his 40s had a successful software business sold it made a lot of money had multiple houses and nice cars and and through the Holy Spirit and a mentor of his began to be challenged of and, and his own discontentment he's like what what is all this for and God spoke to him he says I want you to spend the second half of your life devoted to children, rescuing children. And a few, years, a few years later, he became one of the founding members of this orphanage in Kiev, Ukraine, that we are now supporting today as a church. It's an incredible story. But as I was talking to him, he says, you know, we, we downsized. We got a smaller place, one place, not two. I got a more, you know, a car that made sense. Um, and he's like, he's like, don't get me wrong, we didn't live in poverty, but I just realized that there was something bigger that was calling that and that, that living into simplicity was so inspiring because it wasn't like he was like, oh, was, yeah, I heard a sermon, someone twisted my arm. It was just he's compelled by the Spirit of God to live in such a way that allowed him to live into something beautiful. The next thing I would just encourage us to look at as far as biblical principles around financial stewardship is finding a, a joyful mission. Um, when I, when I talk to people, a lot of times people kind of get frozen because it feels like there's so much to do. There's so many needs. And you go to a concert and you hear about a kid who needs sponsorship and maybe you want to give to your church, but then there's this crisis in Ukraine. It, it kind of sometimes you just kind of get frozen. And I would encourage you to, to ask the Holy Spirit to give you direction. Is there something, kind of like Bruce, where you're just like, my heart burns for this to rescue women out of human trafficking, to build water wells, to see the gospel advance in, in our city, whatever that thing is, and to, and to give your life over to that joyful mission. 
The next thing is, I would encourage you just to just invite godly wisdom when it comes to finances. I, I know some of our, um, our communities are younger people, and no one ever sat down with you and showed you uh, how, to, how to live wisely with finances. Some of us who are older might not have ever learned that as well. Proverbs 21, 5 says this, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. So just quick plug, that, that Financial Peace University class that we're starting, if you've never done that, and, and finances are a point not of spiritual growth and joy, but a sense of tension and relational strain, man, just invite, especially if you're married, invite your spouse to do that. If you've never had a picture of this, of how, what godly, wise stewardship of money, just check that out. Two, two more things I want to give you just when it comes to financial stewardship. Number one, it's just courageous vulnerability. In Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 35, it talks about the community of God. And in verse 34, it says that there was no needy persons among them. Part of having a community of financial stewardship isn't just giving, but it's also raising your hand when you're in need. Some of my favorite moments of pastoring this church have not only been seeing the generosity of this community, which has been incredible, but it's also feeling the safety that people have saying, I don't know if I can make my rent this month. Could the church help me out? Or our marriage is really struggling. Do you guys have scholarships for therapy? And, and being able to answer yes and coming alongside those people and so that our vision would match that of the early church that there'd be no needy person among us. And so this isn't just a call to, to live into first fruits and generosity and joyful mission. It's also to encourage you into courageous vulnerability that there might be seasons or times just to ask for the body of Christ to come alongside you. And the last thing I would just encourage you with is whenever the Bible talks about generous living and financial stewardship in the New Testament, specifically in the words of Jesus, it is after transformation and not transaction. Um, sadly, within the church, there can be this tendency to be like, if you give this, God's going to bless you in that way. And although there's a biblical principle of reaping and sowing, if it's only addressed through a transaction, it gives the image that God's withholding from you unless you give, rather than God is already, already given He's so generous and that our generosity is not to twist the arm of God, but rather just in response to who he is. Matthew 7 verse 9 says this, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? It's about the transformation of our hearts, not the transactions. So, in conclusion, what's, what's the point? Why does it matter? Why do we need to steward our relationships, steward our vocation, our, the creation around us, our giftings, the thoughts we have, our time, our finances? Why, do, why is it important to live not giving God 10%, but giving God 100% of our lives? I'm just give you two reasons. One is that biblical stewardship means that we will see the world around us renewed and the heart inside us restored. I just want to do a brief word on both. In Matthew 6, 19, 
The verse you read earlier says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. And this idea that, that heaven is our ultimate home. And we can invest into creating the best life here in what Ecclesiastes called a vapor. Or we can recognize that Jesus has called us to another place. And I know Stevie talked about that that ultimately is coming here on earth. But, but make no mistake, our citizenship is in heaven. It is our home. And we can choose to where we want to invest our rewards in. And as we do that, and when we are investing in our heavenly home, it's not just something that we get to look to in the future, but we say, God, we want that heavenly reality here now. When we steward our time well, our thoughts well, our giftings well, our finances well, we get to join our actions with the prayer of Jesus, your kingdom come and your will be done. We get to fulfill pure and undefiled religion, like it says in James 1, 27. It says to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I mean, do you, do you get this? That if the community of God lived as stewards of the things of God, 100%, God, you have my life that what would happen is that the world around us begins to experience restoration and redemption at a pace that is unprecedented. So my encouragement to you is just to think about the ramifications if we lived into 100% stewardship. God, my, my life is yours to live through me as you will. But the last thing I want to leave you with is that the concept of biblical stewardship above everything else, even above what happens as a result of it, is tied to your heart. Stewardship is about your heart being raptured up in the goodness and in the love of God. Which is why in Matthew 6, 21, it says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do you recognize that when Jesus is talking about financial stewardship and the stewardship of your thoughts and your relationships and your giftings, He's after your heart. He wants all of it. Some of you have given God 87% of your heart, and that's it's amazing, but it's not what He wants. He wants all of it. And by all of it, it's not an emotional decision. I mean, it's look at your calendar, look at your bank account, look at your dreams, look at your relationships, look at your text message history, look at, and just begin to say, God, where have I not surrendered over an area of, of my life? And that's, that's what this is is just recognizing and inviting Jesus to come into this place. And, and, but, but I will say this. Until you recognize that Jesus has come into your boat, you will keep cleaning the nets of the inability that life has to offer. But if you recognize that Jesus has already come into your boat, Jesus already came into humanity. He's offered himself and he's inviting you. Would, you. would you follow me? At that point, you need to, the question is not, do you believe a certain doctrine? The point is, does Jesus have access to your life? And so I, I want to just pause right here because I think the Holy Spirit's doing something in this moment. Uh, have you believed in Christianity 
without giving your life over to Christ? Have you given the Lord a portion of your heart, but have kept some of it in reserve for yourself? And I just can't help but think that today, as we talk about stewardship, is really about salvation. It's really about you saying, Jesus, I've been withholding from you and I want you to have access to my relationships, to my thoughts, to my time, to my gifting, to the world around me, to my finances. I want you to have access to it all. And as you do, what you will begin to find is what, what I believe the Bible and what Jesus calls the abundant life. It is not a life you hoard away for yourself. It is a life fully surrendered over to Jesus because he's the author of life. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I, I just confess on this side of the camera um, that there are days, there are moments within the day, each day, that, Lord, I, I hold things too tightly. I'm, I'm not stewarding on your behalf, God. I am... I'm operating on my own desire and will. So Holy Spirit, I'm just asking, would you, would you come into me first? God, I want to give you my life, my dreams, my passions, my gifting, my finances, my time. I, I want you to have my relationships. I want you to have my passions. I want you to have everything. And I'm praying that whoever is watching this right now, Lord God, that they would actually just take the time and just to take inventory in their heart and say, Lord, there's things in my life I have kept from you. And that by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, that they would right now in your name find themselves fully surrendered and saying yes to the words, follow me. Thank you, Jesus, for coming after us. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com.